Philippians 3:17 to 4:9. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sympathy to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Just get all my bits and pieces set up here. Uh, okay, on a scale of one to ten, uh, I want you to give me your answer on the following questions, just in your head where 10 is absolutely 100% yes, that's me, and 1 is no, not at all. So here's the questions. Do you feel good when you buy new stuff? Do you feel like you have too many shows to watch? Do you have any clothes you've only worn once? Do you wish you could go to more concerts than you do? Now, those questions aren't meant to shame you, right? Uh, They're just uh, to to give a reflection of our culture. Uh, The the fact that those questions make sense for us, right? Of course, buying new stuff feels good, right? Of course, I wish I could go to more concerts. Uh, If you've got straight tens, maybe come talk to me afterwards. Maybe there's some issues there. But (laughs) in general, we're just caught up in that culture, Uh, that loves stuff. We live in an age of hyper-consumption. We consume way more than we need, way, way more. And we hyper-consume content. We have so much entertainment that we're just constantly absorbing it, headphones in, scrolling as we walk. It's everywhere. And it's shaping us. And if you're someone who trusts in the Lord, we need to be conscious of how it is shaping us. So tonight I want to take a moment for us to reshape how we consume the stuff of the world. Because if you're a Christian, that matters. And it has uh, impact for eternity. So let's get into it. 
The key truth in this passage is that Jesus is Lord. It's shot through the whole thing. Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, then there are four implications that we're going to walk through as we go. I'll run through them now, but they'll come up on the screen as well. Don't chase worldly stuff. Don't fight over worldly stuff. Don't worry about worldly stuff. And don't fill yourself with worldly stuff. Let's have a look at this passage and and see what it says. Firstly, Jesus is Lord, so don't chase worldly stuff. Paul starts off positive, verse 17. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. But the reason he needs to start positive is because there's also bad examples out there. People who do chase worldly stuff. That's my summary of their problem. They actually have five problems there in verses 18 and 19. They live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction Their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. They are people set on worldliness. That's why they're described as enemies of the cross of Christ, because in a worldly sense, the cross is just a total failure. And so they despise that. They're about the here and now. What have you done for me now? Their God is their stomach Right, just driven by whatever their craving is right at this second. Chasing whatever's next. Chasing the next concert, pursuing the next girl. That's the thing they boast to their mates about, right? The concert, the girl, the new dress, whatever it is. But Paul says their glory is in their shame. See, they they think that it's glorious, all this stuff, all this worldly stuff. But actually, it'll mean they face God's judgment to chase worldly stuff like that. Their destiny is destruction to chase the things of this world and ignore the God who made them. When I finished uni, I started work at an engineering company and there was a guy there who worked two jobs. Not two part-time jobs, two full-time jobs, right? So uh, it came up, um, you know, by day he worked with me as a young engineer and then by night he worked at Kmart as a manager. And it came up because he was recommending it to me. He said, oh, it's great, Jeff, it's fantastic. You earn money so fast, right? Because, you know, you work here and you earn uh, a whole... uh, income and then what, do you, what else are you doing at night, right? Just go from here to Kmart and it's way easier than engineering and you get two incomes instead of one. He thought it was fantastic. And he was a nice guy, right? Not evil, not a bad guy. But his mind was set on earthly things. That's the only frame of reference he had. But the Christian life is different. The Christian identity is different because Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is Lord. Have a look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See that identity? The the lordship of Jesus changes everything. He's our saviour and we belong to him and and he's in heaven, So that's where we belong. The Christian doesn't belong to this world. The Christian belongs to heaven. 
We are citizens of there. We need a different passport, right? We're foreign nationals here. And our future's there as well with, with Jesus. When he returns, he'll transform our bodies into his glory, a body like his glorious resurrection body. And really, that's the problem with kind of all the, the desire that consumerism and advertising stirs up. It's, it's not that it makes our desires too big. It, it makes our desires too small, right? We're happy with an updated iPhone, but Jesus is promising a resurrection body. He'll transform our bodies of humiliation, it says, with all our sickness and frailty to be like his glorious eternal body. And most of the time, I just want a new jacket. Can you see how poor that is? Jesus is Lord, so don't chase worldly stuff. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that our model matters. Our model matters. That's the application here, uh, there in verse 17. Paul says, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Find someone who lives like Paul does. There's heaps of examples of worldliness, right? You don't have to look far for that. Just look around your your uni classroom, uh, my engineering mate. You know, there's plenty of examples for the Philippians as well, but our model matters. Take your example from people who live like Paul, who put Jesus first, live with him as Lord, people who don't chase worldly stuff. That's point one. Jesus is Lord, so don't chase worldly stuff. Secondly, Jesus is Lord, so don't fight over worldly stuff. Uh, We're there... Chapter 4, verse 1 now. Uh, Again, Paul starts off positive. He says, My joy and my crown, you Philippians, stand firm in the Lord. That's what he wants. But the reason he needs to say that is because some people aren't standing firm together. There in verse 2, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Here's two women in Philippi. Paul says, that they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. They're not false teachers. Uh, they're, not, they're actually fellow workers with him. But they're fighting. And it seems like more than just a personality clash, right? They don't share the same mind in the Lord. That's what Paul wants for them. That's the, the same word that Paul used back in chapter 2 when he urged the Philippians to have the same mind as Christ, the the mindset of humility and self-giving. And so somehow these two women have lost that and instead they're competing. They're fighting over worldly stuff. We don't know quite what, their reputations, maybe who gets credit for what, but it's still worldliness. It's a concern for the things of this world. If you look around uh, our culture and think, oh man, we're so obsessed with success and achievement, uh, it's interesting to look back at Philippi and see that they weren't that different. The names Euodia and Syntyche roughly mean success and lucky. Uh, Syntyche is named after the goddess of fortune. Uh, Their parents uh, wanted them to succeed, to achieve They're swimming in worldliness, these these two women. But Paul says they're not 
to be defined by their names anymore. Instead, their names are written in the book of life. They're citizens of heaven. The Lord Jesus is who shapes them now. The the Lordship of Jesus changes everything. If Jesus is Lord, then don't fight over worldly stuff. About who did or said what or or who's got a, a better position than someone else. Don't fight over that, especially within the church. What does this mean for us? Well, it means that our fellowship matters. Our fellowship matters here at Union Church. Uh, There have been times here at Union Church where two people haven't agreed. And that has had the result of breaking friendships here. And that has been like a sore, like an open wound here in our fellowship. And given that's happened in the past, uh, I don't assume that it's not happening now. And so if you feel like that, that's you, that you have an issue with someone that's unresolved, where you don't have the same mind in the Lord, that is, if I asked you and them to be on the same serving team, you couldn't get along. If there is a relationship like that at Union Church, then I want you to come and talk to me. Uh, come talk to Ez uh, so we can help resolve that. That, that really matters. Uh, Paul asks his true companion to help these women uh, there in verse 3. It's okay for other people to come in and help this situation. You don't have to just work it out by yourself, right? Um, But it's important. Paul pleads with these women to get it right because our fellowship matters. Because we're not concerned about the things of this world. We're concerned about the things of heaven, the lordship of Jesus, and that should impact our fellowship now. Jesus is Lord, so don't chase worldly stuff. Don't fight over worldly stuff. And thirdly, don't worry about worldly stuff. Once again, we want to say that it's the Lordship of Jesus that changes everything here. See it there in verse 5. Very simply, Paul says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. That means uh, that his return is close by, that it could happen at any moment. He's ready to return. But it also means that he's near to us. He's close by. And so that means that we shouldn't worry about worldly stuff. So Paul tells them to rejoice in the Lord always, to celebrate what they have in the Lord, not to celebrate their worldly stuff, right? And then verse 6, he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, normally, the worst thing you can say to an anxious person is, do not be anxious. Um, it doesn't help at all. It's like, oh, you, you're worried. Don't worry. Uh, but he, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And that means we can pray. He's not just saying, oh, just, you know, uh, don't worry about it. You know, you'll, you'll do Okay. No, he says, bring those things to God. Uh, Worry should be a trigger for us, a trigger to pray in everything, whatever it is, an exam, a a brother who's stuck in sin, uh, an an illness, a friend who who doesn't know Jesus, 
money troubles, uh, relationship issues, all the things that that we worry about for the future. Uh, We're anxious all the time. We don't know what the future holds. Uh, But that worry should be a trigger. Our reflex should be to remember that uh, Jesus is Lord and that the Lord is near and we can take those things to him. Now, there's heaps to unpack here, um, just on the topic of prayer, about how we pray and and why, and and with Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. But I want to stick to the main thrust of this whole section. Don't get sucked into worldliness. Worry is such a worldliness thing, right? It's it's about the stuff of this world, uh, to worry about our things. I once heard a story of an elderly couple who started attending a new church, And after a while, the pastor kind of noticed that they only ever came one at a time on Sunday mornings. Um, One week it was the husband, and then the next week it was the wife, and and on and on. And he figured, I have to get to the bottom of this, what's going on? And so he gave them a visit, and he asked, oh, I've I've noticed that there's only ever one of you at church. Why is that? And they said, oh, one of us goes to church, and the other stays home to look after our things. Um, We couldn't leave the house unattended. Now, that's a lot of worry, right? That's a lot of worry about the the things of this world. And they didn't just get to that point overnight, right? Behind that is a lifetime of, of letting worries grow without taking it to the Lord in prayer. And a lifetime of letting worldliness and worldly concerns seep in. Now, I use that example because it doesn't really apply to you guys. None of you have stuff that's nice enough to stay home for. (laughs) But would you skip church because you're worried about something else? Worried about missing out on a party? Worried that your marks will slip if you don't study? Worried about the stuff of this world? Is that so different from the older couple who couldn't leave their physical stuff? Jesus is Lord, so don't worry about worldly stuff. Instead, pray. Pray, and look what will happen next. Verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the promise isn't that you get what you want. It isn't that everything will work out if you just pray. Uh, The promise is that God will keep you trusting in Jesus, keep you in him. It says that God will set his peace like a garrison, like a guard, like helms deep around our hearts so that we keep on trusting Jesus. What does that mean for us? Well, it means our heart matters. Our heart matters. Uh, This verse isn't a promise that praying will suddenly make us feel peaceful, right? That suddenly uh, we'll never be anxious again and and this kind of zen-like state will descend on us if we just would pray. Uh, No, God's peace does something deeper in our will and our decisions. That's what the Bible means when it talks about heart and mind, Prayer isn't just about fixing our emotions. Uh, God promises to make us secure in our Lord. 
worry will eat away at our hearts like acid if we let it. It'll cause us to doubt the Lord and stop coming to church and our hearts matter deeply to God and we need to change our focus. Don't just uh, look down here at the daily worries but to look up there to where our citizenship is and pray that God would keep us there and ask him to guard our hearts as we pray. Jesus is Lord, so don't worry about worldly stuff. Jesus is Lord, so don't chase worldly stuff, don't fight over worldly stuff, don't worry about worldly stuff, and finally, don't fill yourself with worldly stuff. That's the instruction there in verses 8 and 9. Paul's telling the Philippians uh, to think about what they watch on Netflix. Uh, No, not really, but kind of. Kind of. He's saying, be discerning. Watch out for what you consume. Let's read verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. All that list, all those words, they're not just Bible words, they're words from Greek culture that people around used to describe things that were virtuous. And Paul's saying, uh, sift through your culture, work out what's best. Uh, Not just the things that are popular, but use the gospel as the criteria. See, Paul says, copy me. Uh, Whatever you saw me do, do those things. Wherever you see those things in action, things that are noble and pure, do them. Don't just take on everything. Uh, The measure is, would Jesus think this is noble? Would he say this is pure? As I'm watching it. And if that seems like a high bar, then I think it is. I think that's a very high bar. And if you feel like, man, that counts out almost everything on Netflix, then I just saved you 10 bucks a month. <laughs> Thank you later. Or you just end up like my mate, right, uh, who cut out uh, TV shows that didn't fit this until all he watches now is nature documentaries. Um, he loves them. He loves them because it's the world that God made, right? And he watches Blue Planet and it's lovely and it's excellent, and it's praiseworthy. Jesus is Lord, and if we're going to live like we belong to him, we can't slide into worldliness and just take on everything. So don't fill yourself with worldly stuff. What does that mean for us? Uh, Well, it means that our mind matters. Be discerning about what you put into it. Have a think right now, uh, in your head, run through the things that you take in, uh, whether that's TV shows or music, magazines, articles online, uh, the chats that you're in. Would that stuff pass the test of verse 8? So your mind matters. You are what you eat. You'll become what you consume. You really will. And we're citizens of heaven. Not citizens of this world, 
So here's something uh, practical to do. Tonight, go home and edit your list, whatever, uh, you know, however you consume your content, whether that's Spotify or SoundCloud or whatever. Every kind of device has a way of kind of compiling the things that you're going to watch next. Go through and edit that list. Make it full of things that are true and right, that will set your eyes heavenward to our eternal future. However you consume, uh, why not change it tonight? Jesus is Lord, so don't chase worldly stuff. Don't fight over worldly stuff. Don't worry about worldly stuff. And don't fill yourself with worldly stuff. We live in a world that doesn't have anything else. It's obsessed with stuff. Stuff we buy, stuff we experience, travel, events, all those things. It's all stuff of this world. But if Jesus is your Lord, then your citizenship is in heaven. And we await a saviour from there. And so we live wildly different lives now. Just totally different. How will we cut worldliness out of our lives? How will we do that? I hope that tonight you've uh, noted down a few practical ways that you might do that. Whether that is uh, who you take on as a model whether that's to use worry as a trigger for prayer, to to set your eyes heavenward, uh, whether that's to get help to fix a relationship or uh, to to cut what you consume or to edit your your watch list. I hope that there's something practical that you can take out from tonight uh, to get rid of worldliness. Getting rid of it will be so good for you. It will be good for you in a whole lot of ways, but especially uh, as you... Uh, grow in the Lord as you try and follow Jesus or get to know who he is. But I want to ask at a deeper level, at the level of our our thinking, of our hearts and minds, how will we cut worldliness out of there? Well, the only real way we'll do it is by knowing the Lordship of Jesus. By remembering his death on the cross, and uh, the way that he gave up worldly ambition, the, the rescue that he won for us, by knowing the lordship of Jesus and the new identity that we have with him, uh, now called citizens of heaven, knowing that he's coming back uh, as saviour, uh, knowing that one day he will transform our lowly bodies, our, the bodies of this world, into bodies fit for the new age. That's what we need to know, to know the Lordship of Jesus so we don't put our hope in this world, the tiny uh, fleeting pleasures of now, but set our eyes on him and live now like citizens of heaven and look forward to his return where he will make us like him.